You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. I just want to thank you guys as uh, pastors for having me out too. We live in a a time of life where you cannot hand the microphone to anybody. So for me to get the microphone three times in a row, it's a, it's a privilege and an honor, and it's saying a lot to me. So thank you very much, and I honor you guys very much for that. So it's awesome to be here. Um, if you guys, how many of you were here last night? Not here, over there. How many of you were there this morning? How many of you haven't seen me yet? Oh, good. Well, it's good to see you. And who wants to just keep raising their hands? <laughs> um, I'm going to kind of pick up where I left off, um, and I did it in a way that is backwards. And I did that on purpose. So we talked about miracle signs, wonders last night. Um, this morning, I talked about shalom and what that actually means. But I want to go back to the very basics um, tonight, and I want to start with that. First off, Again, like you said, my name is Ryan Edberg. We're from uh, Nashville, Tennessee area, and we do something called Kingdom Youth Conference. And we are the last, but not the last. The only at the moment, but more up and coming as we train them, youth conferences that are traveling through the country. And um, so we're doing about 12 events a year right now. And uh, God's been opening up some new cities to us with uh, New York, uh, Los Angeles, Atlanta, Columbus, Ohio. Um, that we're going to be doing in 2023, and we are super excited to see what God has for us and how we're going to do it, Um, but we're believing him. We're stepping out in faith, and this generation needs Jesus. Amen? Our youth need to know who Christ is. I see this generation. They they don't even know who they are. They're they're trying to figure stuff out. There's a difference between knowing about God because your parents told you that he exists and knowing God. And um, so we're, we're seeing thousands of students come to Christ and be set free and actually catch a fire for who he is because this generation is sick and tired of just being told a lot of things and they're sick and tired of being told what to do and all this stuff. They want the real deal. They want truth. They want to know what's real out there. And when they find it, they go for it. And so we're excited to see uh, this generation just uh, go after Christ with everything. Um, What I want to talk about tonight is the basics going back all the way to the beginning, and you'll think that it is simple, but it's the most complicated thing in the whole world. And I want to talk about the love of God. Now, we've used it so many times in Scripture, and, you know, even talking about, hey, God loves you, God loves you, that it gets so numb that you just turn it off, right? Because we don't even understand the love of God, because we try to think about love based off of our love for others. And based off of how we've been loved from people. And so you're like, there's a heavenly father out there that loves you. And like, I don't even understand because I had a dad that was horrible to me, right? I, I can't understand the love of a father because I never even had a father. So what you're saying doesn't mean anything to me. And we, we kind of go through this, this process of, you know, we, we think that God loves us the way that, that we love. But that's not the case. And I want to go through some scripture today. And I'm going to show you that there's a difference in uh, some stuff. And if you get a revelation of this today, it will set you free. And then that shalom that I talked about 
will be simple for you. Signs, wonders, and miracles will be simple for you because the biggest thing on provision, on miracles, signs, and wonders, all that stuff is we don't even comprehend the love of God because we're broken. <laughs> Amen. We're broken. But we don't understand that. So I want to look today at some scripture, and I want to show you a few things. It says this in, uh, go to 1 John. Let's start here. 1 John 4, and we'll start in 7, and it says this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is God. And it says, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not know love does not know God, for God is love. Somebody say, God is love. Now everybody say, God is love. It says, in this, the love of God was manifest toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And it says this, in this is love, which is going to tell you something. In this is love means the definition of love is this. That's what it's saying. In this is love, and we're about to find out. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. So it says, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Why? Because my love is flawed. I'm going to love you until you mess with me, right? And then you're done. You're dead to me. I'm going to love you until you hurt me, and then I'm going to close off my heart so you can't hurt me again. So in this is love. The definition of love is not how much we love, but that he loved us. Why? Because his love is perfect. And when you start to understand the love of God, you can start to function. And I think as Christians, we don't even understand the love of God, and it takes this process. Why? Because when you become a Christian... We think that spiritual maturity is the righteousness of God, how holy he is, how righteous he is, right? We, we think of uh, Deuteronomy, you got to love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind. you you got to love him with everything. I, and i got to love God more. I've got to love God more. I've got to love God more. That's just the beginning of your Christianity. That's just being a, a babe in Christ because everything in the Old Testament is awesome because it, it's showing you a picture of Jesus, so in Deuteronomy, he's like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your mind. And then you have a bad thought. You're like, how can I even do this? I'm screwing up again, right? I, it's impossible. But what he's saying is, I'm going to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. Everything in the Old Testament is a picture of Jesus. And I'm going to show you some of that today. This morning, we talked about the Israelites. And even the Israelites going into the promised land, Hebrews 4, we talked about that, entering into his rest. The promised land was known as his rest is a picture of Jesus. And God told Moses to take them into the promised land, but Moses was never going to take them into the promised land. It just wasn't going to happen because he needed to show us Jesus. Moses was always known as giving us the law. The law was never going to get you into a place of rest. Who took the Israelites into the promised land? Joshua. Yeshua. Jesus. Jesus was always going to be the one to take them into a place of rest. It's a, it's a picture of what was to come. And for me, I didn't even understand love or the love of God. And I, I've got four kids. Uh, this is my daughter up here. She was singing, wave your hand. This is my son up here. He's sleeping. Why is dad preaching? Just kidding. Wave your hand. There he is. He's the really good looking one. Really talented and good looking. Um. But I've got two more daughters at home, and my youngest daughter, she was uh, 
in uh, pre-K. She's not now. But when she was in pre-K, she was doing a ride your bike at school day. And now my youngest daughter does not walk anywhere. She hops. <laughs> she skips. She bounces. There's nonstop bouncing at all times and noise. But so she's going through the house. She's singing, dancing, all, all excited about life. And my wife's like, she gets to ride her bike at school tomorrow. So she did that in the morning. My wife had to go to work. I was going to go to Nashville to do some uh, meetings. And um, so I was going to drop her off at school and then head to do some meetings. And, and she got in the car. She's singing, dancing, bouncing on her car seat. And I pull into the school and instant tears. Now, I know she's a, a young girl, so there, you can kind of put that into it. But Okay, good. That was a joke. But what it was, it wasn't, it wasn't like a, this emotional thing. It was like terror. And she just started crying. She said, take me home, take me home, take me home. And I said, Kylie, I can't take you home. She said, take me home. I can't be here. Take me home, take me home. I'm like, you were so excited about this. Here's all the kids. There's the bikes. Everybody's jumping and dancing and singing. I said, what is going on? She said, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it. I said, you've got to tell me. I've got to go. I can't leave you like this. So... You, if I leave you like this, the teachers are going to call me, you know, a few minutes down the road. I'm coming back anyway. So I pulled the car over. I, I went, I got down by our car seat. I said, what is happening? And she said this. She said, look at all their bikes. Look at my bike. It's too little. And I realized that they all had bikes with training wheels and she had a trike. So she was the little kid, but she was the one in pre-K. So of course she was. Right? But she didn't want to be known as the, the little one there, the baby of the whole group. And so I, I dropped her off with her trike, and I said, you know, we'll, we'll look at getting you a new bike. We'll try to figure out this stuff. You know, just be here. And she hung her head down and walked into class. And so I got in the car, and as if you're a parent, you understand what I'm talking about. Like, you're just like, oh, this is awful. Like, what, what can I do? And I pulled out, got to the stop sign, and I thought to myself, you're not going to make that meeting. So I called. I canceled everything in Nashville. I drove to Walmart, and I got this brand-new bike with the tassels and the bells and the baskets and a brand-new helmet, and I brought it back to her. I put it there in front of the school. I went into class, and I got her. I brought her out with all of her friends, and she was so excited. And for me, it was just, it wasn't anything that she'd done to deserve that. It was nothing that, you know, she was even being a little bit bratty of yelling at me to take her home. But to see the smile on her face, I was like, this is the best day ever. And uh, I dropped her off, and, and she got to ride their brand-new bike around. And I pulled out to the, the, the stop sign again, just feeling excited about life. And God clearly spoke to me, and he said, how much more do you think I love you? And I was like, Lord, you know, our first instance, not me, Lord. You don't know what I've done. I, I'm... I'm not like as innocent as a little kid that you want to see this. God, I've done this and I've done that and I'm not good. And I probably yelled at somebody the other day. And But there's this, just this feeling of love that came in the car of like, I just want to see a smile on your face. And that's the goodness of God. Is It says that the goodness of God that leads to repentance. We think it's the lightning bolt of God that leads to repentance. That's not what scripture says. Let me tell you, God's not a bad shot. If he wanted to get you, you'd have been got by now, <laughs> right? It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. I was even thinking about a scripture the other day, and uh, somebody said this to me, and I had to correct them. 
He said, man, it rains on the just and the unjust alike. Man, I've been just going through a season. I'm like, that's not what that verse means. They're like, what are you talking about? I said, back in the Bible times, they prayed for rain. Rain was a blessing. When rain came, the harvest grew, the crops came. When it rains on the just and the unjust alike, he's talking about the blessings of God are on the people because it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Amen? So I started to look through some of this, and then I started to understand that when you first get saved, we're like, it's the righteousness and the holiness of God, but amen, he is righteous and holy. Amen? He is. And when you get saved, you're as righteous and holy as you're ever going to be. You can get your actions to line up with that, and that would be good for you. Like Pastor was talking about, it, it leaves a, a foothold for the, the devil when you start to uh, sin and do stuff that's wrong. But, but God still loves you, and I believe you're saved, set free, and on your way to heaven because you've accepted Jesus Christ. Amen? And so I was looking at some of this, and it's always about the righteousness, the holiness. I've got to do and try, but really, spiritual maturity is when you understand the love of God, and it's holy. It's totally different, and it's probably not what you think it is. I want to talk about uh, two disciples really quick. And uh, I want to talk about Peter, who's my favorite disciple um, in Scripture, because I just love Peter, because you don't know if he's going to, like, walk on water or if he's going to give this great speech and uh, thousands of people are going to get saved or if he's going to cuss out a bunch of little kids, right? You just don't know what's going to happen, but he's got this gift of putting his foot in his mouth at all times, right? He just says the stupidest things. And I love it. What? I can relate. So Jesus is there, and he says, hey, Peter, I need to wash your feet. He's like, no, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And he's like, well, then you'd have no part of me. And he's like, Lord, wash all of me then. He's like, I don't want to give you a bath, Peter. Just, just shut up, right? Like, he's there with uh, Moses and Elijah. He's like, Lord, it's good for us to be here. We should stay here and build all. He's like, just stop talking and, and just be here and listen, right? He's just this guy that... That you don't know. But the first time that Peter sees Jesus, it's awesome because he's out there fishing all night. And he sees the Lord and he comes in. They've caught nothing. And Jesus says, what have you caught? Right? Obviously, he knows. Just put a little salt in the wound. Right? I did that this morning. Where is he? He's, oh, yeah. I apologize about that hunting experience. I won't even let these guys know you missed three times. That's between you and me. I don't do that kind of stuff. Me and you, your secret's safe with me. <laughs> this is my last time here. I'm sorry. <laughs> How much is it going to take? I might, I've got to. But see, Peter comes in and, the, and God says, the Jesus says to him, you know, what, what have you caught? He's like, I've caught nothing, Lord. And he said, go out into deeper waters and cast your nets down on the other side. And Peter says, Lord, We've been fishing all night, right? But because it's you, I'll cast down the net. And we know the story. He puts down his nets, and there, there's so much fish that they can't contain it, and it starts to break. And I've heard pastors teach on the blessings of God is so much that it's going to rip your nets. I want to argue with that for a moment, even though the blessings of God is pretty hard to contain. Amen? But I want you to go and look at that scripture. You can fact check me later. But it says this. Jesus said, Go out into deeper waters and cast down your nets, plural. And Peter said, Lord, I've been fishing all night, but because it's you, I'll cast down a net. It's not the blessings of God that will tear your nets. It's your disobedience to what God has coming to you that could break your nets, 
right? It got, God has enough that he could contain what he's trying to give you, right? Just be obedient with that. Amen? So then Peter finally realizes that this isn't just a man, that this is Jesus. So the first time he says, depart from me, Lord, I'm a wicked man. Now what's his focus on? Is it on the righteousness of God or the love of God? It's on the righteousness of God. Depart from me. I'm a wicked man. The same thing with Adam and Eve when they walk and talk with, with uh, God in the cool of the day until sin comes in and they're like, uh, go and hide in the back, you know, 40. And God comes in and is like, where are you at? Why? Because sin had entered in and they realize it's the righteousness of God, how holy he is. And not, they're not focused on the love of God yet, right? And Peter goes through this and we know the story of Peter from there that uh, Peter denies Jesus. But I want you to look at this. Peter had failed before Peter had failed. You see, Peter had failed at the Last Supper when he was there with everybody. And um, Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me. And Peter says, stands up among them all. This is why you, you really want to have a friend like Peter. He's really a great guy to be friends with. He says, Lord, even if all of these people here, especially this guy here and maybe that guy there, even if all of these would betray you, I would never betray you. What's his focus on? On himself. God, I'm not going to betray you because how much I love you, right? Everybody else, they probably could, but I know where I'm at. I know where my loyalty is. I, I wouldn't betray you. I would never betray you, right? So he was relying on himself. And I'm telling you, if you're going into it relying on yourself and your own strength, you've already failed. It doesn't matter if you're going to deny Jesus or you're going to fail at this, that, or another thing. As soon as you say, I've got this, I believe God backs off and says, okay, you got it, right? And it, he, we know the story that he goes out there and um, betrays Jesus. But, but here's what I want to show you. The last time that Peter sees Jesus, it's almost like the first time, but, it, but it's different. You see, he was out fishing again and in a boat. And now Peter had a, a meeting with Jesus that we don't know about in Scripture, I don't know what happened. I can't tell you. I'm not going to make it up. But something happened because when Jesus came back, he said, go and tell the other disciples and Peter. And says he showed himself to Peter. So it's not recorded on what had said. But the next time that Peter sees Jesus, it's different. And what happens is they're out fishing. They didn't catch anything. And all of a sudden, they said, who's that on the beach? And John says, it is the Lord. And Peter, instead of saying, depart from me, Lord, I'm a wicked man, he jumps in the water and swims straight to Jesus. You see, something's different now. It's not on depart from me, it's the love of God. And I've got to get there. You see, religion will make you say, I I've screwed up. Please don't tell my father. But relationship will say, I've screwed up. I've got to get to my father. Right? When he, when he sees that it's, it's Jesus over there, he can't. There's nothing that's going to stop him to get there as fast as he can, and it's different than the first time. Now, I want to look at John because John had a different revelation. John was the one who said, it is the Lord. He perceived. He knew. Why? He had a different relationship. You see, John was known as the one that was the beloved of God, the one whom Jesus loved, right? How would you love to get that kind of a nickname? Ryan, the preacher who Pastor Kent loved, Right? His favorite of all the guest speakers he's ever had, no matter how much he... Just kidding. 
how did John get this kind of, wouldn't you love to have that title for, for Jesus? People are like, man, you know, that's, that's David or that's Gary. Is there a Gary in the room? <laughs> There's a Mark Schmier Jones, the one whom Jesus loves, right? I would love that title. And I started to look at that. Like, how do you get that title until you realize that John, the one whom Jesus loved, was only mentioned or written in the book of John. John wrote it about himself. <laughs> He's writing the disciples. You're not going to put that in there, are you? No, don't. You wrote it, didn't you? <laughs> I'm the one whom Jesus loved. I'm his beloved. I'm his favorite. Right? He had a different revelation. And it wasn't on the righteousness of God, but it was on how much Jesus really loved him. He's the same disciple that had his head on the chest of Jesus at the supper when Peter is saying, Lord, even if all of these would betray you. And John was the only one, the only one who knew who would betray Jesus. I'm telling you, in this season, you're going to want to have your head so close to the heartbeat of Jesus so you can hear the deep secret things that are going to come in this world. And when you get that revelation of how much he loves you, you can relax and calm down and put your head on the chest of Jesus and just hear the secret things of life instead of be worried about who's going to betray you, what's going to happen, what's going to happen in this economy, who's going to be the president, what are they going to do, what about inflation and taxes and our jobs? If you can calm down and relax, you can hear about God telling you, hey, I'm going to need you to do this. I'm going to need you to pivot. I want you to invest in this. Here's an idea to create a business in this season. Here's, I want you to do this. And you'll be in a whole different spot than the rest of the world. But you've, you've got to have that revelation. And I want to put this into, uh, just show you that there's, there's a revelation of how much you love God. Amen? That's, that's great. That's what Peter had. And there's a revelation of how much God loves you. And it's totally different. Think about this for a moment. If you're married or you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, um, it's great. I can love my wife with everything, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. I can text her all day long. I can call her. I can send her flowers. I can get her a teddy bear. I can do whatever I need to do to show her I love you. I, I did the dishes. I've done this. I've texted you. I've called you. Why isn't she calling back? Why, why isn't she texting? Why? But she's at work, but she should be answering my text. I wonder what she's doing. I wonder if there's another guy there. I wonder if she's doing this. I wonder if she's doing that. And I'm not secure in my relationship with my wife until I realize how much she loves me back. And it's the same thing with God, with, with what we do. God, I love you with all my heart, with all my soul. Are you going to take care of me? Are you going to provide for me? Can I get healing? Can I get this? Can I get that? And you, there's this thing. And until you realize how much he loves you, you can calm down. And then miracles start to flow. Because you realize how much he loves you. It's different than your revelation. You see, one of those revelations are going to leave you betraying. The other one is going to leave you at the foot of the cross. The revelation of how much he loves you is going to leave you ready for the ministry when he looks down and says, Mother, this is now your son, and son, this is your mother. Useful for the ministry when you can calm down and you realize how much God really loves you. You see, when I read in uh, John, we all, I made you guys all repeat it. You said that God is love. See, a lot of us are like, I don't know if God loves me. You don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. I know what he did. If I'm going to focus on what you did, we're going to have a long therapy session, right? If I focus on what he did, we can move past some of that stuff into relationship, right? And we can start to move forward 
into what God's really called us to do. It's a whole different mindset. And when you guys read it, I had you repeat and say, God is love. I want to challenge you in this because some of us, we don't feel like God loves us. It's not something that he does. It's who he is. Love isn't something that God does. It is God. And for him not to love you wouldn't be a character of God. It wouldn't be who he is. So he has no choice, yet he chose. But that's who he is, right? It's, it's not something that he does. And we think that him and his character is based off of our actions instead of who he is. Amen? I want you to look at this really quick. Because, like I said, when you first realize, when you first get saved, usually it's, your focus is on the righteousness and the holiness of God. Spiritual maturity is focused on how much he loves you. You see, when you worry about the righteousness and how much righteous you can get, the scripture says that all of your righteousness is as filthy rags unto the Lord. Why? Because your righteousness is called self-righteousness. You're only righteous because he's righteous and he's living inside of you. Now, I want to show you guys a few things here. In the story in Luke, it's 8 through 40. I'm not going to read the whole thing because we're going to be here all night if I did. And um, I wouldn't want you to fall asleep again. Um, but I want to talk about the story of Jairus. And there was a woman there that had an issue of blood. Now, I want to say this because your righteousness is like filthy rags unto the Lord. The filthy rags, I don't want to be crass, but if you study it out, it means soiled menstrual cloths. Now, there's a woman with an issue of blood, which means she couldn't stop bleeding. And I don't want to guess or kind of go into what it was. But the story starts out, and it says this, that, that Jesus was there, and Jairus came down, and he fell at Jesus' feet and said that his daughter, who was 12, was sick. And it's an emergency. Now, you got to realize that he is a Jewish leader, and it, their rules are that you bow to no man. So when he comes there and bows down at his feet and falls at the feet of Jesus, he's saying, you're not a man, you're God, and you're the only one that can save my daughter who's about to die. Now, as they go to do this, I want you to realize it says that he had a 12-year-old daughter. Now, everything in Scripture is there for a reason. It's not just there. He didn't say there was a daughter that was sick. It was a 12-year, it was specific. Why? Because when you study out Scripture, the number 12 is significance. It's the power of God. It's something's going to happen. They got the 12, 12 tribes, of, the 12 disciples. You've got a lot of 12s in there. It means that something's going to, a miracle's going to break through if you start to look through this. And then as they're there, Jesus says, of course I'll come with you. And they began to go. Now put yourself in this uh, father's um, mindset of we've got to go fast so they're trying to break through this crowd of people everybody they're pushing through he's shoving i don't know if you've been to a, a big concert or anything like that um, i did rock and roll for a while and got in the mosh pits it is uh, a lot of uh, people pushing up against you and uh, shoving you around um but he's pushing through the crowd to try to break through to get jesus because his daughter is about to die if any of you have kids you know you would do anything to make sure that they're going to be all right, especially if they're about to die. And so much where you're going to throw yourself at the feet of somebody and say, you're my last hope. I need you to come. 
And what happens is, as they're pushing through the crowd, the woman with an issue of blood, and it says for 12 years, you've got two 12s in one story. Something's going to happen. It says it touches the hem of his garment. Now, the hem of his garment was known as the talid, and they had it on as a sign of their righteousness, a symbol of their righteousness. That's the way the Pharisees would have these long robes, flowing robes, which was just a joke because they weren't righteous at all. But Jesus, his talit, the symbol of his righteousness, was enough for a breakthrough, right? And so she touched just a symbol of his righteousness, his holiness, and she was healed. And it stopped. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, who touched me? His disciples said, Lord, everybody is the answer. Everybody's touching you. How can you say, who touched me? I want you guys to go read this story. I want you to look at some of this stuff. You'll see it in a whole different way. They said, everybody, no, I felt power leave me. Why? Because there's a difference of touching Jesus and touching him with faith. There's a difference with being in church and coming to church with faith because you need a miracle breakthrough. There's a difference in singing a song for worship and falling down in worship to say, God, I need you to move in my life right now. There's a difference in praying because I've got to get my prayers in for the day and praying because you need a miracle and you're desperate for God. This woman needed something to happen in her life, and so it was different than everybody else that was probably had their bodies all over Jesus as he pushed through. Just her faith of a little bit of a touch on her hands and knees to sneak through the crowd. Why? Because she was unclean. She shouldn't have even been there. In fact, she could have been stoned for being there. So she had to sneak and crawl just to touch a hem of his garment to then get out of there so nobody would know it was her. But Jesus stops and looks at her. And you got to think about this. You're Jairus headed for your miracle. We got to hurry because my daughter's almost dead. And he stops and says, who touched me? Lord, everybody touched you. Let's get going. Please hurry. We've got to get there. Well, this woman touched me. She had an issue for 12 years. It can wait. Come on back. And she's already healed, Lord. She got her breakthrough. Let's keep going. No, but Jesus stops and takes time for this woman. Why? Here's what I think. She wasn't supposed to be there. In fact, she could have been stoned or killed to be there. So she snuck in and just touched the hem of his garment to be healed. She was healed. And it says that she was in fear and trembling. Now, this fear and trembling is from the Old Testament, same word used when the Israelites said that their enemies were in fear and trembling of what God had done. It wasn't, I'm afraid, it's, I can't believe what just happened to me. I'm healed. And he says this to her, why? Because she needed to sneak in and take a miracle. She had to steal a miracle because she shouldn't have been there. And I think Jesus wanted her to know, you can't take what I'm giving you. You can't steal what's rightfully yours. And he says to her this, daughter, your faith has made you healed. And I want you to look at this because this is the only woman in Scripture that Jesus calls daughter. Why? Because he needed her to know that you can't take what's yours. Now, they begin to go on the way, and they're headed towards uh, Jairus' home, and they stop, and they say, don't trouble the master anymore. Your daughter's dead. Now, as a parent, you'd be pretty furious, right? You're stopping and talking to this woman that's already healed, and we had a shot here. And Jesus says immediately to him, do not fear, only believe. 
I'm going to need you to stop that fear for a moment and just believe. If you need a miracle, here's, here's uh, the cure for it. Do not fear. Only believe. If you are hungry, only eat. If you are thirsty, only drink. If you are tired, only sleep. But not right now. If you need a miracle, do not fear. Only believe. That's what Jesus says to him. He goes in there, comes to the place, and he says, you know, they've got professional mourners at the time who are just, you know, weeping and wailing. That's what they did, throw ash and, you know, just yell and cry with the family. And they'd go to the next house to do the same thing. It was really a blessing. He'd really encourage you. Right? There's a lot of ministries like that today. Um, but Jesus goes there and says, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And everybody starts to mock him. And I find it interesting what, what Jesus had, does. He says, I need all of you out of the room. You know, if you need a miracle, let's get all of the unbelief out of the room immediately right? And he leaves three people in there, and he says this, everybody out except for Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. And, and what Jesus does then is he throws his talit. It says, uh, talit hakum, which means daughter, rise. And it, he put his righteousness, a symbol on her, and she sat up. And the miracle had happened just like this. But I want to show you one more thing. You see, I think everything in scripture was there for a purpose. And I don't think it's just... Uh, just written in there that it was Peter, James, and John that stayed there. And I think that it's significant that it was in the order that he had said it. Why? Because Peter was known as the rock, if you interpret his name. The rock always was known as the law. James, if you look it up, means to replace. And John means grace. The law replaced by grace gets a miracle and a breakthrough. It was significant that Jesus had them stay and even said that in that order. And the girl woke up and there was a miracle breakthrough. You see, it wasn't about just a, this righteousness, but it was, it's the love of God, the love of the Father, the love that just moved in and miracles happened. Now, I want to show you this because in Scripture, there's, a, there's a, a rule called the rule of first mention. And the rule of first mention is this. It's there's significance, and there's also significance in questions, but there's significance at the first time that uh, something is mentioned. So in Scripture, when you look up the word love, you would think like the first time that it's used would be Adam and Eve, right? When a man loves a woman. Three people got saved, two left. Okay. But it's not Adam and Eve. It was actually... Um, Abraham and Isaac, a father and a son, was the first time that love was mentioned in Scripture. And the word that they used was ahave, that Hebrew word, and it actually means to give. The word love actually means to give. Like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. That's the first time that was mentioned was his father and his son. And I want to just tell you a picture. It's in uh, Genesis 22, 1 through 19, is the story of Abraham and Isaac. And you can write down uh, that and, and read it later. But I just want to show you a few things here in, uh, in Scripture. And then I, I really, I'm going to close with this. But I want you to see a picture. Like I said, everything in the Old Testament was Jesus. And I want you to see a picture of Jesus here. So this is what it says. God comes to Abraham 
And he says this. God says, I want you to give me your son, your only son, the son who you loved. Now, this pretty, God's being pretty specific here. He's not just saying, hey, I need you to sacrifice Isaac. He's saying, I, I want you to give me your son. Let me remind you, it's your only son. The son who you love. Now, we know that Abraham didn't have just one son, an only son. He had Isaac, or Ishmael as well. What was he talking about? I really believe it was God saying, I'm going to give you my son. My only son, the son whom I love. But if you study it out, that your only son, it was actually the preferred one. So it was Isaac. It, it's true. It's, it's accurate. But I want you to see if, if you can see a picture of Jesus here. It says that Isaac woke up early in the, or Abraham woke up early in the morning. And he went on a three-day journey. Now, he was asked to go sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. It wasn't just any mountain. It was a specific mountain, and it was a three-day journey. Jesus was in the ground for, he had a three-day journey. And they went out with, uh, Abraham took his son and two servants. And it said this, that they got to the mountain. He had his two servants stay there, and it, Isaac asks this question, and he says, Father, we have the wood and we have the fire, but where's the lamb? Now, this question is answered in the future with John the Baptist, when John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the sky opens up, and God says, This is my son, the son in whom I'm well pleased. He's prophesying into the future. Now it says that when Isaac asked this, he put the wood on his back and began to walk up the hill. You've got a picture of Jesus happening here. And as they go up this hill, we know the story that he binds up Isaac, puts him on the altar. But I want you to think about this. Most scholars would say that Isaac is about 20-some to 30-some years old, which would make Abraham about 130, 140. Uh, you could do the math on it. I don't know the exact numbers. But as I was researching that, I was thinking, and I was really looking at this and thinking, a 100-and-some-year-old man cannot overtake and bind a 30-year-old. I don't even know if he could lift him up on an altar at that age. I think that's why the wood was on his back. Isaac knew what was going to happen. And I believe he was thinking, not my will, but your will be done. I really think he was thinking, I'll, I'll get up on this altar. You can buy me. And we know the story that as he comes down, the angel stops him and says, do not, do not harm him. And as they look, there's a ram in the, I think there's a sheep that is caught. And it says it was caught by its its horns inside of the brush. Now, this is significant. I don't know if you know about sheep. I have a couple goats. But if a sheep gets stuck in uh, some, some brush, it's usually by the wool, not in its, its horns. But it was caught in the horns because there couldn't be any kind of thorns or thistles inside of the, the ram because it needed to be perfect. It was a picture of Jesus. It had to be by the, by the horns. And I believe as he pulled them out, you could probably have still thorns around the lamb's head. 
And they went and they put that on the altar and sacrificed it. Now, I'm going to read this for a second. This isn't the same story. But it says this. The angel, when he stops him, it says, The Lord will provide, as it says to this day, in the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. And it says, And the, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By this myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, blessings, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars in the sky. But it says this, a couple up, and I want you guys to go read this. It says, um, I know, do not lay a hand on this lad, nor do anything to him, for I know that you fear the Lord, that you fear God. And that fear is the reverence, it's the love. I know that you love God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. He's not really talking about Isaac here. He's saying, Abraham, I'm putting this down there because you've proven your love to me. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to do all this for you because you've proven you love me. And what is the proof of love? You didn't withhold your son from me. You cannot wonder if God loves you. He proved it to you. There's not much more proof that you need that he didn't withhold his son, his only son, the son that he loved, so that you could be free. And when you start, and when you go from, I just get saved to the holiness, the righteousness of God, I love you with everything, I love you with everything, please don't hurt me. I loved you and I prayed so much today, will you please do a miracle? God, I, I fasted, I fasted so many times today. God, I tithe so much today, would you please do a miracle? When we go from that to, God, I know that you love me so much that I want to give. I know that you love me so much that I know that you've got this miracle on its way. God, I know that you love me. You've proven it in Scripture, and you wrote it down as a contract that we can read. That you love me so much that you didn't withhold your son, your only son, the son that you love. Now, I want you to look at this. It says that the Lord told him to go to Mount Moriah. Now, if you know anything about that, it was a three-day journey but it says that Abraham looked and saw the Lord. In, later in Scripture, it says that Abraham seen me, right? And they said, Jesus, how can you say that? You're this old. Where do you say you've seen Abraham? He didn't say he's seen Abraham. He, he said, Abraham's seen me. And I believe it was on this mountain because on Mount Moriah, where they were going to sacrifice Isaac, was the same mountain that Jesus was crucified on. The same picture that he was showing us about Jesus was actually where Jesus was going to be crucified. It wasn't just random. Now, it says in Scripture that a day is a thousand years is a thousand years is to the Lord. I want you to look at something just for a moment. God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested, right? Let's just look at this for a moment. We've got a week there. But if you go from Adam and Eve to Abraham and a picture of Jesus, it's 2,000 years. You can look at the genealogy. If you look at Abraham and Isaac on the mountain to Jesus on the mountain, it was 2,000 years. From Jesus to today, 2022, 
It's 2,000 years. And on the seventh day, he rested. Did you know it says in the millennium, we will rule and reign. We will be with him for 1,000 years of rest. It says that he will return on the same mountain. I want you guys to look at this for a moment because it says that no man will know the day or the time, but it says that you could know the seasons, which, which means this. You can tell when he's coming back. If somebody says he's coming back on Thursday, run out of that meeting. Because <laughs> no man knows the time, but you can know that it's close, and he showed us in his word. And what I know is he's coming back soon, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be waiting for the Lord's return. I want to be busy about my father's business. I want him to catch me off guard where I'm so busy doing what he's called me to do that I'm like, Lord, we got to get all of these because the time is short. And then he, he's here. And we say, I could have got just one more. Just one more. I could have just talked to one more. What happens is, as, as young people, and when we're doing these youth conferences, it's, it's not a real relationship with God that they really have. It's, I've been told about God, I've read about God, it's maybe real, maybe not real, but they haven't spent the time to actually get to know him. So he hasn't spoken to them, he hasn't showed himself to them, he hasn't done much where it's not their God, it's, it's my mom's, my dad's, my pastor's God. And they need to know who he is because he's coming back soon. That's not a, a thing. I don't want you to be terrified about it. I want you to say, what are you going to do in this last season of your life? Even if it's, uh, he doesn't come back for the next 100 years, okay? Our lives are still so short here that we've got a lot to do in a very little time. And I wanted to say this tonight because we believe in signs, wonders, miracles, healing, all that stuff. We believe in what we talked about, the shalom, the the to destroy the works of the devil, but if you don't have the revelation of how much he loves you, none of it works. You're always going to be striving and insecure with your relationship. I don't feel like he loves me today. I just, I sinned. I, I did this. He, he doesn't love me today. He doesn't love me. And that's a, that's a lie from the pit of hell to get you to not move forward, to get you to stay right there in your own selfishness about me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know it's selfishness because there's a world out there that needs you. They need the Jesus that's in you. And the devil will try to rip you down, tear you down so you feel very useless, like you can't do anything. Well, I've done this in my past. I've done that in my... Great, get over it. Let's move on, starting today. <laughs> but it was this afternoon. Great, let's start on this evening. Right? Can we just stand up for a moment? I'm going to pray. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. If you've never accepted Jesus, maybe you never even understood love because you didn't, you weren't shown love in the right way. Maybe you were mistreated, abused, yelled at. The thought of love is just so unfamiliar to you. And this is all foreign. But you want to know what real love is? Tonight is your night. It says to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you will be saved. If you want to receive Jesus tonight for the first time or maybe you've been, you know, just struggling and you haven't felt the love of God and you really want to feel that love of God tonight, I just want you to look up at me. 
Thank you. 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 It's this simple. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that you will be saved. That's what it takes. Now, I want you to just repeat after me. You can all do it, or you can say it in your heart. Let's just all say it. Just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Thank you for giving me your life. Thank you for dying for me. And thank you for raising again. I give you my life. Amen. That's all it takes. Now, if you really believe that, if you're just repeating after me because you're a robot, <laughs> sorry, but if you actually mean it, you believe it in your heart, you're like, he is God. He is God. It says that nobody, you can't say Jesus Christ is Lord without the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, the hardest part is Romans 12, 2, to renew your mind now. Get around people that will build you up. Because I'm telling you, if you go out here and you go back to the same friends, you go back to the same coworkers, you go back to the same people, and they're negative, negative, negative. You're like, I said the prayer, but why has nothing changed? Because you didn't change this. You want to be victorious in life? You have to go for it. This world does not care if you win. It wants you to fail. This world wants, it teaches you, step over somebody else to get yourself higher. Push somebody else down so that you can win. Hurt somebody so you feel good. This world does not care if you win. If you want to win, you have to go get it. You have to go for it. You have to go after God with everything. He will help you. He starts to come in and changes your life, right? But he's not going to force you to seek him. He's not going to force you to win in life. If God is changing your life, through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.